how did you get here? I started modeling, and so I was with the Kathy Muller agency, and next you know, I'm like all over the place. Liberty House Polynesian catalog guy, all that kind of stuff. Started my own advertising agency in 1995. If you started off in kind of the business route, what's the big piece that got you to doing yoga? I remember in 2007, I need to bring this, this modality back to Hawaii, this tool. Which part of you needs to be whole? I spent a lot of time on that. Could you share one of the times that it was tough for you? I'm in a place where we're active people, and all of a sudden she doesn't want to do anything. If you could only remember one thing from it, what story would you bring back with you? There's an f- unknown force that is out there that I don't want to define it, call it whatever it is, but it exists. I want to know what your heart and gut is responding on this one. I suppose what it comes down to is just... Greater Good Radio, connect, learn, heal, and grow, is brought to you by Brain Gain Hawaii, a boutique executive recruiting, career development, and coaching firm. Learn more at BrainGainHI.com. Today's guest is Eric Rosso, one of the co-owners of Yoga Room Hawaii, and we're going to talk about the new chapter or new season in his life and Evolution career. Evolution of life, yeah, yeah, for sure. So welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for that breathwork class also oh. this last weekend. That thing was pretty awesome. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before, and you're trying to remember how we met. We met on the first time that we had Greater Good Radio. We were launching it because you ran an ad agency. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Many, many moons, not many moons ago, but I'm, I'm phasing out of the ad agency. I've been doing it for now. 28 years and it's been a wonderful career but you know started yoga room back during the pandemic when the whole island was shut down we opened up the yoga room with five other partners i have five partners including me and now we have 700 members and it's thriving it's a hot yoga studio in kaimuki and doing the breath work and it seems that my impact for my life going forward is to heal Hawaii or do what I can to bring healing to Hawaii. I think that's the best way to put it is that's where I'm going to have the biggest impact. Maybe if we kind of just take a couple steps back then, like how did you get here to Hawaii? Oh, Um, I I went to Brown University. I graduated from Brown with a chemistry degree, worked for a a Fortune 500 company for about two years and said, this is definitely not what I want to do. I was living in the East Coast. I grew up in Boston, played football at Brown, just graduated, and all of a sudden just saying, this is something more. So I quit the job, and I got a one-way ticket to Paris, traveled all the way through Europe and Southeast Asia, came to Hawaii, and never left. And when I was here, I started modeling, and so I was with the Kathy Muller Agency, and next thing you know, I'm like all over the place, Liberty House Polynesian catalog guy, all that kind of stuff. So I got used to being in front of the camera. And then I got my real estate license, did that for a few years, and then went over to Channel 2, KHON TV 2, where I started selling air instead of land, <laughs> and then started my own advertising agency in 1995, and 28 years later, kind of phasing that out. So, If you started off in kind of the business route, what's the big piece that got you to doing yoga and then opening like a yoga so, studio? So, you know, I played football. So okay. I was always involved in athletics. And I remember in 2007, I was at the Honolulu Club 
and just started doing cycle classes. And next, you know, one of the managers who actually I saw yesterday in my yoga class and I thanked her and I shared this that, you know, nobody is self-made. There's always people along the way that help you out. And she said, Hey, you should think about teaching spin classes. You're really good. We got certified. I got certified. And next, you know, I'm teaching spin classes at the Honolulu club. Then core power came along in 2012 and I started going there and it was just wonderful. But before that at the Honolulu club, they had some kind of a promotion or program where they said they check your strength, they check your cardio, they checked your flexibility. And then they came back and they said, Hey, Eric, your strength is great. Your flexibility it sucks. Your mm. cardio is good, but you need to work on your flexibility. And next, you know, I'm starting to work on my flexibility. What am I going to do? So I took a Bikram class. Okay. What they call. 20- How old were you at this time? So this is 2007 that I started teaching cycle classes, but it wasn't until 2008 that I started to t- start taking yoga classes and I went to Bikram and it was hot yoga and I just fell in love. I tried the yoga, you know, in other, you know, cool rooms and things like that. And it just didn't do it for me. It was, it was the hot yoga that I said, okay, there's, so there's you get more out. flexible or something. Cause I haven't done well, that. Before. Yeah. I mean, no? so after this program, they said, Hey Eric, you know, your strength is great. Your cardio is good. But your flexibility is really bad. So I just said, okay, got to work oh, on it. Oh, no, that. but in the Bikram, you know, in that hot yoga, like what's the difference between doing in that hot room versus like, you so know, just if, doing it? It, it? In a hot room, you can tell that your muscles get more flexible. You can stretch a little bit more. And there's something about when you come out of any yoga class, okay? What I didn't know at the time was the breathing that yoga provides if you're breathing the yoga breath, you can heat up the body and I can do any yoga anywhere today and get a great workout. I'm going to be, I'm going to be sweating afterwards. You know, the hot yoga, there's another element to that. And it's a great feeling when you're done, but yes, you can become more flexible in a heated environment. So you went from Bikram yoga and then you're like, I love so this. So I went to Bikram yoga and I, I was doing the Bikram yoga at Yoga Room at the time, you know, with oh. the previous owner. Oh, so it's the same name it, it is the same. Well, she had three names before and she ended up, you know, when she came up with Yoga Room, Yoga Room Hawaii, we just kept it. I thought it was a good name. So we all just kept it and we just, you know, rebranded it. So in 2012, Core Power came to Hawaii. And I started taking core power yoga, which had sculpt with weights. And I thought it was like, oh, this is a game changer. This is great. And of course, it's picked up and it's it's a very popular thing. And I started there. Next, you know, I'm teaching sculpt. And then I'm taking my two and an hour teacher training all through core power. I'm teaching vinyasa classes and just this transition to yoga. And then I'm going to different workshops throughout the country and learning more about yoga. I mean, that's my path right now. So like for somebody who doesn't really know about yoga stuff, like what's the difference? Like vinyasa, what was the other one you said? First of all, yoga comes from India and it's been around for the last 3,000 years. So the asana, the movement of yoga, basically is done before you go into meditation. So you get all that energy out so you can sit for hours and hours and hours. Going into the Western culture, 
the asana practice is now the mainstream. Okay. You don't see a lot of people doing a lot of meditation, which they should. <laughs> and we can talk about that a little bit too. But the yoga that we're doing right now, there's so much more to it. For example, let me just give you a quick example. Let's just say you're taking, you're running. When things start to get intense, you quicken your breath. You're breathing in and out through your mouth usually or in through your nose and out of your mouth. <laughs> so things start to get intense, you know, go a little bit faster. <sighs> you run faster, you know, and your breath <laughs> quickens. In yoga, when things start to get intense, what you should be doing in yoga breath, you're breathing in and out through your nose all the time. Your breath slows down and there's something happens in that breathing where the lens starts to go inward and you get kind of a euphoric feeling at the end of yoga. A lot of people, it's the same thing as when people are running and they get that runner's high, they're in that flow state and something happens in that flow state and you go inward. And that I think to me is where the value of yoga is. Sure. You're going to get more flexible. You're going to build strength in areas. You're going to find more, you're going to get more balance. So physically there's something really good about yoga that is different than running, lifting weights and things like that. And especially as you get older, you know, I always say that your muscles are like rubber bands that have been sitting in the sun too long. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they get brittle and you need to use them. You need to continue to work on that flexibility. But to me is what happens with the mind, the clarity of the mind, the cohesive wholeness that we all want to try to become, you know, just to be whole. I think the main question and what I'm kind of digging for is like, I did a yoga class in Seattle probably around 2014 and I would go, I think it was a warm kind of room. I, I liked it, but Great. then I haven't gotten around to doing it here. I mean, I'm 50. My flexibility is not, not good compared to what it used to be. Right. And I get that a lot. People but always I, say, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. Well, it wasn't even that. I mean, I remember the first time I went by core power and I was like, okay, I'm going to check this out. Yeah. And yeah. I went in there and, what I saw like just before the class happened was like a whole bunch of like hard body, like beautiful looking people in like beautiful looking outfits. I was like, dude, I'm not going to be in there. Seriously. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be the only mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. fat plug mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. room, like dying when mm -hmm. everyone's like looking sculpted out mm -hmm. of a picture. And I think that was the, you know, the inner part of me was like, Oh hell no. So, so that's what kind of held me back at that time. But now, you know, I realized I need to get, well, I think that's kind of the quandary yeah. in my head. So let me address that. At the yoga room, mm -hmm. you know, we have the Bikram format, which we don't call it Bikram anymore. We call it 26 and 2. Oh. What's interesting is when we first started, I would say that almost 90% of the people in the room that were taking that 26 and 2 class were 35 and older. And if, if you come into one of our classes today and take a 26 and 2 class you will probably find that half of them are older 35 and half of them are under 35. And the people that are under 35 never even knew this format was called Bikram. Mm. And Bikram's, I mean, that, the poses, if you ever watch the documentary, they never really hit on the poses. They weren't saying negative things about it. It's a great series. So I would recommend that you come in and, and just give it a shot. But if you come to our studio, what I'm saying is there's going to be a lot of, age demographics, you know, you're going to have older people and you have younger people. You have mom and daughters and dads and sons in the classes. 
it's definitely more skewed to women, no question. Because Why? you know what? It, it you know Hawaii or yoga in the United States has geared towards women for some reason. If you go back to the 1920s in India, only men could actually do yoga. And then it gradually women started to come into the practice. But in the Western culture, I think men seems to like, oh, that's more of a female type of thing is stretch, you know, expression. I like think the perception on hula almost, right? Kind of. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's one of those things. I think if yoga was invented in the United States, it would, it would just be called extreme stretching. But there's, there's a lot more than just stretching physically that you're going to get out of yoga. But if you come to the yoga room, we're going to have yin classes, you know, classes where it's very slow. Like you're holding poses for like five minutes and it's an hour class. And it's is it just, hard to hold those poses for five minutes? Well, it, it is. I mean, if you haven't done it, but you know, it's one of those things, it starts to go into the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest and people need that. You know, we're living in a society where there's so much stress and I hope that we can talk yep. about that a little bit too. But again, once you go to the yoga room, yeah, you're going to see a lot of fit people, but you're also going to see people that are just like you and I are just average Joes and we're just doing yoga. Oh, you and I are not average Joe. Oh, like, you are not the average Joe. I mean, <laughs> I, I may be, but come on. Like, yeah. I, I always describe, I said, oh, this is my friend Eric. He reminds me of spiritual Patrick Swayze. <laughs> And they're like, really? And I put the pictures together. So right, funny. right. Isn't this like spiritual Patrick Swayze? Interesting. Huh? Yeah, yeah. thank you. You never been called that? I have, actually. Spiritual Patrick Swayze? Well, not spiritual, oh. but I've been, someone said, like, oh, you remind me of Patrick Swayze. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's what I'm kind of interested in, too, is that when you mentioned that it's, it's targeted, or I don't know, if it's just more popular amongst women, right? Like, what is the value that the women are getting out of it that keep them to coming keep them coming back what is it it is changing yeah. okay and you know i really believe that core power did a great thing by bringing in sculpt sculpt is yoga with weights it's really not yoga but it's cardio with yoga influences like an exercise more exercising yeah i think yoga. i think the the owners at core power saw that the yogis started losing a lot of muscle mass on their upper body so they brought into this the weights and you know and sculpt or yoga with weights has been going on for years in other different places with different names but it just caught the name sculpt yoga with weights and you're getting a lot of athletes coming in and checking it out and, and i was that person okay i was like this jock okay i like i'm spin class and then all of a sudden i'm doing this yoga with weights and i go this is great then all of a sudden I'm in this yoga studio and I said, oh, what's this vinyasa class? What is this class? What is this class? And next thing you know, I'm doing all of this yoga stuff and then I'm learning a little bit more. Why am I feeling so wonderful after this yoga class? And like all of a sudden it's just curiosity and you keep diving in and diving in and there are new chapters and new chapters and new chapters that come out. Maybe in more of kind of like that spiritual aspect of it, like what, what are you getting out of it? when you're in their spiritual aspect from your yoga practice? You know, again, there's evolutions. So at first it was just this wonderful feeling that I had afterwards and I just feel so good. And it's totally different than going into the gym and just working out or going after a run. There's something that was just different. And then as time goes on, I used to get these just clarity, you know, in terms of what, 
should I do? Okay. If I kind of like threw all the nuts and bolts of this problem that I have, whether it's work, whether it's in my relationships, whether it's in anything, and I go into a yoga class by Shavasana, all of these images are coming and I'm, I'm able to find that clarity. I was doing a creative, I was a creative in the ad agency, used to take all the elements, throw them in my head and say, I got to go take a yoga class. And then in Shavasana, I would come up with the script. I said, I got it. So something about that, just, I understand it now much better of why, because you're in a, another state, you're in another brainwave activity when you do this yoga when you get into this flow state you're not in beta waves anymore which is what we're doing right now you're more into this daydreaming alpha waves or theta waves and that is where there's creativity and that's the only time that you can find that creativity is when you're in a place where you're safe and you're feeling that oh okay this is great mm -hmm. and that's what yoga provides so that's why I wore this shirt for you today. This is actually, my daughter designed this. Oh, wow. Piece, right? That's great. Yeah, so my daughter and I are doing a, well, we're about to, like a father-daughter kind of podcast based on, Beautiful. purely on like connecting with your your parent and child and so She on. had a great, great experience on, yeah. on Sunday as well at the breathwork. So maybe let's, if you want to transition into that, like how do you move in from the yoga to the breathwork? What's the deal with breath work because it's kind of a all-encompassing term so again you know? it's uh, trying to understand what's happening into this body if my journey is to try to find wholeness there's a lot of ways to find that wholeness outside of just yoga yoga is a tool so and my definition of a tool is a tool can change your state in real time that gives you opportunity to make changes and so I'm on this journey and I'm going to continue on this journey because I love this journey because there's so much to this yoga meditation, trying to find this cohesive wholeness. And that's my journey. So I went to Costa Rica and I did plant medicine. There was, it was an ayahuasca retreat. It was a seven day retreat. Four nights was ayahuasca. Three nights was breath work. Four nights in a row? Four nights in a row. And, and then uh, the last three were breath work. No, the first night was breath work. The last two nights when it's all done, we do, do breath work. Mm. So let me back up. What was the reason why I was going there again, not only in my journey, but my wife passed away in 2012 and you know, she died. She had nine years of cancer and there's a lot of stuff that came up and at her passing, everything was great. We, all came together and you know she passed but at the same time i wanted to go back and meet with her as i'm learning and i'm on this journey i want to talk to her and one of the reasons why i did ayahuasca is to go talk to her to go see her again and i did and she definitely came to me but she came the most in breath work so when i did this breath work down in costa rica this certain type of breath work. Now, breath work is very similar to yoga. There's a lot of different types of yoga. There's Kundalini yoga, there's Hatha yoga, there's Vinyasa yoga, there's 26 and 2 Bikram yoga, all these different types. Breath work is the same way. There's so many different types of breath work. And they all work, just like all the yoga, all the yogas work. It's a matter of finding a practice that you're comfortable with. So I did this type of breath work down in Costa Rica. And I just had the most cathartic experience. And the thing is, Steph came to me and she's there and I'm having a conversation with her. 
And it was the most beautiful thing. And you know, when you're a little kid and you're crying so hard that you can't even breathe, I was doing that. And what did she say to you? It wasn't more about what conversed between the two. It was what we both felt and this feeling of we're okay. And, you know, images of us doing things when she was alive and healthy that showed our love. And I think that was everything. Okay. The conversations that I had with her, they were okay. But like, it was really about the fact that we were just together and everything was wonderful. So that was the purpose. And when I had that experience with the breath work, I'm going, Eric owns a yoga studio. I can do this back in Hawaii. I need to bring this, this modality back to Hawaii, this tool. And, and I did. And I've been doing breath work for now for over two years once a month, and I started with eight people in the room because no one has any idea what's going on in this breathwork class. A lot of people come to it saying, am I going to get better at yoga doing it? It does have a lot, something to do with yoga because it's, it is a form of meditation, but it's meditation on steroids. But the beautiful thing is that it's here. I did get certified by a, a guy named John Paul Crimi. He did something similar, a similar type of breathwork that was down in Costa Rica, but I still follow what they do in Costa Rica. And if you haven't done it, the only thing I can say is give it a shot. Breathwork will have the ability to make you sleep better. So one of the guys over the, that came on Sunday texted me and saying he has an aura ring. Have you ever heard about mm-hmm. the, the sleep thing? He goes, I have had, I had a full night, eight hours of sleep and never woke up. That has never happened to me. So I get these all the time of what breathwork has done. I've had a girl, Belinda, she said, Eric, I suffer from self-love. And this is in front of the whole crowd. I suffer from self-love. So in my breathwork journey, I meet my younger self and we go free diving and together and we're just having the most wonderful time. And then we come back and we both meet our older self. And our older self looks at us and says, you guys are going to be fine. So to me, I look at that as you are healing you. You know, we always look for external things to help us internally. But when your internal can heal your internal, that is the most powerful in my opinion. And that's what breathwork is going to do. You can have these cathartic experiences and bring clarity to some of the things, some of the problems that you have in your life. And that's wonderful. And the stories are endless. So that's Belinda's story. I had one girl and when she goes to her therapist, her therapist wants to ask her about a trigger. She can't talk about it. She can't disassociate. When she was doing breath work, she was able to dissociate and she was able to talk to her younger self and say, this doesn't define you breathe through this, you're going to be fine. And to this day, from what she was saying, she can actually talk to her therapist about this now because she went through this experience. So I'm like going, oh my God, this is, you know, huge movement forward and changing of the chapters that now she can actually walk forward and and talk about this thing. And hopefully again, find this cohesive wholeness that we need to all walk through because we all have problems. And if we can find some clarity in that and move forward 
and be whole, that's wonderful. The way you're describing it is similar to a psychedelic experience. No question. And without, and, the, yeah. psych- without, without the psychedelic and then you, you don't have all the, it's not as long. I always say, you know, I'm not making this up. You know, I mean, I've been to every one of these things and what I hear and what people hear that share at the end usually gets long. People love to talk. And the last one, not, not a lot of people talked and maybe it was because it was such a big room. There was over 65 people in the room, but I have the headphones, as you know, Hmm. and that gives you the ability. It's a game changer to, to go inward and not hear someone else scream and all that kind of stuff. So it does help, but when you hear what people talk about and you know that there's change going on and the amount of emails that I get or the texts that I get through social media after an event like that and people are going, oh my God, I, you know, someone just came in, it, names have been changed to protect the innocent, but someone just said, you know, I, I had a hard time, I was struggling. And then all of a sudden it just kind of, she kind of broke through. And, and then she said, I heard the word, I love you. And I never said that to myself, she said. I've never said I love you. And I just, after that, everything just kind of like just went peaceful. It was like floating in the air and I was drifting and it was wonderful. And when you can walk away and you can feel that way, and again, that's the whole idea of this cohesive wholeness. My analogy sometimes is everybody's going through stuff. Remember the Etch-A-Sketch when you were younger? Mm-hmm. You know, you, whatever you created, if you don't like what it is, you shake it up and you got a blank canvas and breathwork is kind of like the same thing where there's all the stuff going on where you can go to this breathwork class and shake it up and you now have clarity to start a new chapter maybe. But again, it's a tool. I wish I had a magic wand and waved it over people's head and said, you're now fine. You're perfect. But there's no magic wand. It's a lot of different types of tools that you're going to have in the shed that's going to help you get to this cohesive wholeness. And, and there's a lot of modalities out there. And I just got back from Dr. Joe Dispenza. And it's amazing to see how many people in, in my class of yoga that never heard of Dr. Joe. And they're going, well, how do I just go online and just look at one of his YouTube videos? But I went down to Cancun. There's 1,800 people down in Cantoon and his seminars, his retreats sell out in five minutes or 10 minutes. So it's super hard to get into these retreats and he's doing the exact same thing, but it's all through meditation. And one of the beautiful things about Dr. Joe is he brings the science to the woo woo, you know, and I call this woo woo because I mean, I was a football player. I was a, you know, jock. I was in corporate world and I'm, you know, and all of a sudden you're seeing something, you're going inward and you're going, oh my God, what's happening here? You don't realize that this is real stuff and I can't make this stuff up. And when I start seeing this, you got to start thinking about this veil that's going on in this other dimension or other force, other universe, call it God, call it whatever you want. But you know, you more and more you see something like that, you know that there's an f- unknown force that is out there that I don't want to define it, call it whatever it is, but it exists. So on the Joe Dispenza retreat, what would you say were your main takeaways that would help others? Listening? So basically you're, you're meditating. I meditated for like 35 hours during that six days. 
each meditation was an hour and a half long. And he's doing, you know, pineal gland meditations, walking meditations, eighth energy center meditations. And it was great. But the first day was tough, you know. And I love what Dr. Joe says. Just keep knocking on the door and something will break. Basically, the whole idea is, so where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So he talks about, and this is what he starts out with, is how do you start this meditation? Is if you think about your future, you know, especially people that have these jobs that they had, you get up in the morning, you can blindfold yourself, you know exactly where to get your coffee in the morning. You know, you go take your shower, you get into your car, you know exactly how to get to work. You know the people that you're going to see, you know the job that you're going to have. Everything is predictable. So he calls that the predictable future. It's that it's a known, okay? And it's one of the reasons why we love vacation so much because there's an unknown. You know, they say that 90% of your thoughts are the same every single day, okay? Because it's the same thoughts that you have every single day and only 5% is different. You know, think about when you're a kid, when you went to recess, this is what Dr. Joe says, and it's so true. When you were in school and you're sixth grade and you're going on a field trip, God, you're ready to go on that field trip because you're getting out of that classroom. And it always brings a smile to everybody's faces when you think about it. Yeah, I remember those field trips. Same thing. We have this predictable future. So there's nothing there. And then talking about the past, that's already known because it's already in the past. And how many people do we know that are living this soap opera, this loop video of being triggered over and over again? And that is not a place to be. So he says the only place that there is an unknown it's in the present moment. And in that present moment is where you're going to find creativity and you're going to be able to figure out what is your next step. And it starts with meditation. And so if you consciously breathe and he talks about energy centers, he never talks about chakras, which we do all the time in yoga. He never talks about Uddiyana Bandha, Mula Bandha, which we talk about all the time in yoga because these are yoga terms you know, in Sanskrit that we brought to the Western culture. Like he talks about energy centers. He talks about squeezing your perineum, which is your mula bandha, which is your first chakra, sending it up, belly button to the back of your spine, which is your uddiyana bandha, going up to the sacral and solar plexus, all the way up to your heart chakra, which is your fourth energy center, and taking it back down. And it says consciously breath right here. And that's where... You just keep knocking at the door and something breaks. And for me, it's about being emotional. I'm definitely not an emotional guy from the start. I've always been in my head. But because of this yoga practice, I've gone into my heart. And I know when I start feeling emotions, that's when I know that I'm going places, that I'm cracking open that, that little egg and going inward. But that is the start in this whole meditation. And this is what I call flow state. This is what you do in yoga because in yoga we breathe in and out through our nose and it's constant. And this is how we go inward. And it's the same thing that Dr. Joe was talking about in the beginning of all of his meditation practices. As you think about that retreat, if you could only remember one thing from it, what story would you bring back with you? Well, for me personally, it's just, you know, incorporating meditation in my life you know basically at first i said well i get there super fast with breath work and i I don't do 
30 minutes. Sometimes I can do 15 minutes of breath work and I, and I get there, but there's something to the yoga. I mean, something to the meditation that he's teaching that is beneficial as well, which is, and it just gives you, again, I talk about this clarity. So one of the things about Dr. Joe is he's doing a lot of science to the woo woo. And he has a team of scientists and he's going to be probably in the future. You'll start seeing some actual papers and journals that come out, scientific journals, which now makes him real. He's not the pseudoscientist that everybody is kind of labeling that. But in that 1800 people, 200 people were sick and he's doing amazing research where people are wearing garments and they're checking their health and they're checking their guts. They're doing samples before and after microbiomes. They're filling out surveys. They're doing so much to try to get this information. But out of the 1,800 people, about 200 are sick. You're seeing people in wheelchairs there and you're seeing people that are ill. And from what he was saying is 60, about 60 different, he's testing different, 60 different diseases. What drug do you know will take away 60 diseases. So this meditation shows that there are benefits to it. It may not cure people. I don't know if they are cured. You know, we wait to see these journals come out, these scientific research come out, but people are definitely feeling better. And whether it's placebo effect or not, who cares? They're seeing a dramatic change in people's lives for the better. So that's my biggest takeaway that there is something here in this meditation. I'm going down. If you're in yoga, you're going down the right path. The only thing I can say to anybody that is not into yoga, try yoga because that's down at your corner and it doesn't have to be yoga room. Mm-hmm. Just get in, get involved with it and just be curious and keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. But I'm going down this path that I know that is the right path. There was a TED talk and I forget the lady's name, but she talked about a stronger meaning of life. And this is all about this wholeness. And there are four areas in your life that you can do to strengthen your meaning of life. The first one is purpose, is finding your purpose. You know, there was a time that, you know, I was raising my children. That was my main purpose. But guess what? My purpose changed because they grew up. They're adults now. My purpose is changing. We all have to have a purpose to create this one pillar of purpose to create this stronger meaning of life. The second one is belonging your tribe. Now, one of the beautiful things I love about the yoga room is that one of the reasons why I feel that we have 700 members in Honolulu magazine just named us the best yoga studio is how people come in to the yoga room, the teachers, the members, there's a safety to this place and people around like-minded people. And it is a great, wonderful little tribe that we have there, but it's belonging. The third one is transcendence. And transcendence is basically something that is just higher than yourself. Something that is just a little bit higher than your hustle and bustle. It can be religion, but it can be something that's spiritual. And that is the area that I feel I am growing in. And that pillar is strengthening. And that has to do with the yoga meditation and going going inward. The last one is a different one, but it's so true. It's your story. The story that you tell yourself every single day, your little elevator pitch. What is your story? She gave an example about an athlete that 
was making a lot of money. And then he gets into an injury and he's in a wheelchair. And at first his story is like, ah, I mean, I could have been somebody. I was somebody and look at me now. Well, you know, somebody calls him up and say, Hey, can you talk to my high school kids? Next thing you know, he's traveling the whole country, talking to kids, motivating them to try to be a better person. And he's like, I found my purpose, you know? And now he's saying, if it wasn't for this accident, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. It gives me chicken skin. But same thing is where I give my impact is to helping this community of Hawaii becoming more whole. I mean, there's so much negativity out there. And you can see as this pendulum swing. And this pendulum goes this side and you're seeing all the negativity. I mean, I don't even want to go into the politics. I don't want to go into all the stuff that's happening in this world. But I always feel that the pendulum will swing the opposite way on the other side. And when people start realizing that, hey, there's something more, I can find myself, I can be more happy, find more joy in my life. That is where what I want to be able to be part of. And this whole constituency, this group towards this wholeness. You know, if you have you have breath work, you have plant medicine, you have yoga, you have the meditation and so on. Why not combine all of them into certain things? Well, first of all, you know, plant medicine is illegal. Okay, but, but you're right. I mean, there you can the, you can separate out right. the plant medicine. It, there's a there's whatever. a great documentary called uh, How to Change Your Mind right on Netflix by Michael Pollan. You should watch it. It's amazing. They did four episodes. One's on acid, one's on MDMA, one's on mushrooms, and the other one's on peyote. Great, great episodes. And I would recommend anybody to watch that if they're thinking about plant medicine, you know, and the whole thing about why the plant medicine is getting a lot of attention is because you do something that's fairly natural and you're getting benefits out of it. Again, going back to targeting this vortex of cohesive wholeness. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for this cohesive wholeness, which is stronger meaning of life, all that kind of stuff. And in plant medicine is a tool. It, it will help you get there. So And you're right, you know, yoga is a tool, but walks in nature is a tool. You know, laughter is a tool. There's spending time with your children and really spending quality time with your children is a tool. How do you get more of that? And so that's really what we're we're trying to go for. Did I answer your question? I was just wondering, because I went to the breathwork class and it was like a standalone class in a yoga studio. So I was wondering... If things could potentiate it, then why not have some type of yoga piece and then the breathwork or the breathwork first and the, whatever, you know, and then and then you'd have the meditation or is it just too intense, too much? Or, you know, that's, you that's know? good. There are some yoga studios that actually have meditation. And if you go onto YouTube, there's home, so many different types of meditations that you can do. But you're right. There, sh- there maybe should be a meditation 101 there's more to come. I'm looking into some other modalities that I'm going to start that incorporate the meditation along with maybe a longer stretch. On this one, it's tune in, turn, turn toward. That's kind of the mantra of this thing that we're, I'm doing with my daughter. And that's the whole deal, right? You tune in, you turn toward things. That's exactly what you're talking about with yoga, with the breath work. You end up in the same place, but different kind of entry point so let's say it's on the breath work and you're moving into that space of you know what we call non-ordinary reality 
then in that shortened period of time, especially at the ending part where we'd normally do an integration of it, like what's going, you know, how do we bring this back into reality and make sense of it and put it into action and so on, then that would be, to me, kind of the perfect timing for the meditative practice, even though mm-hmm. the breathwork is kind of meditative mm-hmm. to an extent, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, yoga is a moving meditation. There's yeah, no and then yoga brings you back into your body, right? right. Because a lot of times right. we're way out of our body. Right. So it brings you back into your body. It incorporates right. the breath. Right. We're focusing on, you know, muscles and movements that we normally don't focus on. We notice, oh, I'm breathing shallow. I need to take a deep breath. I'm breathing through my nose or oh, I'm breathing through my mouth. So that's why I was wondering, like, how would that be optimized into something because you know you have the component pieces of it there I think that, that could be the, kind of potentiated you know, the, even even more you know you're right there you know is again that magic wand <laughs> we talked about if i had a magic wand that it can wave over your head and you're like boom you're whole and there isn't anything out there yeah i don't know like if it's, it's going to be so much on that it's like there's a lot of in, individual like component pieces that i feel like maybe just my, my own what, wondering like what i'm trying to do is there are obviously people that drank, drank the Kool-Aid that they know about it. They've been doing yoga for years. They understand the value of it or understand even trying to be whole. And then there are people that what I call are not awake. They just don't know. And, but they're going through all these issues and problems and they're trying to solve their problems externally and they haven't looked inward. How do I get them? And this is part of advertising. How do I get them to say, hmm, Here's an opportunity because in this world of yoga, actually in this world of fitness, we're minorities. There's so many people that don't take care of their bodies and they don't. And there's so many people that are not mindful of what, what they put in their bodies. And I'm not promoting, you know, veganism or anything like that. It's just being cognizant of the things that you put. So how do people become more mindful is what you're saying, right? Yeah. I think that is where the, the root seed is getting people to say, hmm, now there has to be a motivation. You cannot do anything to a person that's, that's not motivated. If they're not motivated, fine. And a lot of times what makes them motivated because some big issue in, happens in their life. I went to the doctor and the reports came back. I got high blood pressure. I got, you know, I, or I had a heart attack. Okay, that is when you do it. But usually that's when you're older. And you don't want to be in that situation. You got to think about preventative. You got to be thinking that 30 years before. You know what I'm noticing too is that along with kind of this journey that you're in at this point, there's a lot of energy around I need to spread this word. What's the story underlying that? My, that motive, my motive to do that? Yeah. It just brings me joy. You know, I guess it started when I was teaching spin classes it's like after the class and you see smiles on people's faces and said thank you so much it starts with just that feeling alone and you just want to you want to give more and more and more i'm in a place in my life where i've got the resources and the time and the energy to really start tuning into this area of wellness and i want to continue to do that it brings me joy hmm. You know, for somebody else, it's working on their boat every single weekend. For me, <laughs> my my 50-foot boat is the yoga room, I guess. <laughs> so that joy that it brings you, it feeds what in you? Stronger medium of life. It's purpose. It's belonging. 
it's transcendent and the story that I tell about it and it brings more people in. I think this is what it's all about. You can tell me if, if this is wrong or so on, but there's a part of me telling, telling me that there's, there's like something like deeper and a bit more personal or it, it, under that somewhere, like in a childhood instance of some mm. sort or something, you know what I mean? Mm. And there, then that gets fed by this other stuff. It's like there's something kind of there that is just under... I'm hearing it. I'm hearing what you're saying. What's the driving force? Or I'm hearing the answer coming from your head is kind of what it's coming from. At least what it feels like to me. You know what I mean? And, and what happens is like that's a small portion of what's here in the room. There's a giant like spirit and heart going on that is like has a story under it that wants to kind of share. And that's what I'm... That's what's pushing me into like hey, you know, let this part go. Let it mm-hmm. s- express itself and it's going to be something different. So that's why I keep asking into that. It. Yeah. I, I want to know what your heart and gut is responding on this one. I suppose what it comes down to is just I really want to see people whole. And there's something about when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Eric, can I talk to you about what I experienced in my breath work? And I'm going to make time for them. You know, I want to make time for them. And I want to see if you can help them in any way or you can direct them and point them in the right direction or open some doors that they never knew existed so that they can say, I never thought about that. Never thought about that. You know, I'm, again, I'm 60 years old. I got some wisdom. I got some life experiences. And if I can help share and point somebody in the right direction, so that they're in a better state, I'll do it. You want to see them whole. Yeah. So I think my question then is, which part of you needs to be whole? When I see others whole, the part of me that needs the attention to be whole is, when you finish that. It's an exhale. It's like, yeah, I can help people. I can be this conduit and I can help people. And again, it gives me more energy to be able to do it again. That's, that's the answer. I mean, I'm looking at my past. I know that, you know, I can go back and I can say, okay, I got some abandonment issues and things like that in my life. My issue with Steph and having someone that have cancer for nine years caused a lot of issues. I made peace with that. I've kind of moved on for that. I've definitely, you know, looked at that big in the face, went to therapy about that and all that kind of stuff. I spent a lot of time on that. But now, you know, I'm in a place where, you know, I don't want to just play golf every single day. <laughs> I want to I want to be able to make an impact. And the impact that I want to see, not for someone, whatever somebody else wants. And this is it. The impact that you want to see in someone else or the impact that, what does that mean? We are only on this earth for a very short time. And, you know, let's just say that I have another decade of really providing something to give back to this community. This is what I can do. This is just my way. Mm-hmm. You're not going to probably see me go out and help feed the homeless and things like that. I'm not, probably not going to do that. But I can do this. And... I know there's a number of people out there that that are looking for that. And I can do it.
I think what it brings to my mind then is that there's a saying, it's like the longest journey is from your head to your heart. 12 inches. Right? But then as you move through that, I call it, I looked at it, I call it like five H's. It goes head to heart, and then goes heart to your history. And then from your history, it goes to healing, and then healing equals to like hero. Right? So the movement between head and heart is typically the one that, that you know, when you move into the heart and then things start to get, start to express, then a lot of times it comes right back to the head. Right? Because it's like, oh, it's too much. I got to make stars run and analyze it. The thing that has been super interesting and to me that I've been curious on and watching you and your YouTube stuff, or the Facebook things and so on, mm-hmm. is there's brief points where you will capture it and you move from your head into your heart. And on those ones are really, really captivating and interesting to me. Not that, you're, not that the other stuff is not, because obviously, you know, you're really smart and bright and articulate and you know you handsome guy right Thank you i mean much. like i showed a picture to someone they're like wow look at this guy he's ripped <laughs> and it's like it's like oh that's the class you're going to i was like mm, yeah i don't look at I, I don't look like that <laughs> but you know what i mean so that's i don't know it's in the container already i feel it so it's like that's what i'm trying to, to get, get to know at. a little bit better i'm just trying to see it a little bit better the, the driving force or just what's coming out of the heart area. Because what happens is, so, you know, there's a saying, it's like perception is projection, right? So it's like, what's going on inside of me, I'm going to project externally and then use that as my mirror to kind of try to more or less fix or resolve what's going on inside. So if you think about it in that context, then there's a strong, strong, there's a super strong desire in you to like, I want to help. Because I have a same kind of one. You, do. you know, I want to help. I, I see this pain in the other person, but I can fix this, you know, like I can do it. So what is it in you or what that is, is the driving piece of that? Not so much the strategy, but like, what is the, the origin piece? Because what ends up happening is, is by helping externally, we're more or less mirroring what needs to happen kind of internally. That's what you see in your plant medicine journeys, right? In the breath work and the meditation, it's no longer like, turning away and tuning out it's being able to tune in and turn toward it in a safe space that can be held which is what we needed initially right well they say in order to help somebody you need to be pono and there's no question there's times in my life where i was not pono i was not pono i wasn't you know i need to just focus on me and doing what i need to do what's your definition of pono just be right mm-hmm. and and be right is like wholeness. I mean, that's how I see it. When you define right though, like you're not talking about right and wrong or are you? No, I'm talking about just being right. You're just feeling like complete, complete. And now that I feel I'm in a place where I can give, I have the time I, and I want to have more time. I want to travel a little bit more, but like I have the time and I can do this. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to make sure that I have the knowledge to be able to provide that. So last week was my father's funeral, Mm -hmm. right? We went through from 2014 till basically February of this last year. My father had cancer and we were, you know, dealing with all of that. And, you know, I was helping as a caregiver and it, you know, many times where he, we look like, oh, he's going to die, and he doesn't. 
it sounds like you went through something. I can't say it's similar or so on, but your own, and that's the age group that we're in, right? The age group that we're in, parents, getting in, in particular, getting mm-hmm. older, or they if they haven't passed, they, they were we're becoming caregivers and so on. So, like, can can you share into like what the experience was? I mean, I don't want to bring up like the most painful thing for you, but it's like how are you, something that would be helpful in navigating that as so imagine that you're talking with people that you know are going through this right now right parents are getting older they may be sick they may have just passed away or somebody really close last year i had eight friends die like most of my age you know like you know i look at that and again we talked about that as like some of these people i mean things happen you know my wife steph she got leukemia my dad leukemia okay i mean all she had cll chronic lymphocytics leukemia that actually turned into a lymphoma Mm. but like you know here she was pretty healthy she ate well she didn't smoke didn't drink didn't do any of that and all of a sudden boom and then you start thinking why you know what's happening here you can kind of think about all these different theories of why bottom line you don't know in the end but the fact that she does and when she does you just got to do you got to go into this defcon 5 mode just like you did with your father and you're just going to have to do to make sure everything is good. Just make sure he's happy and he's in this best state as possible. Then you have to deal with it. A lot of people don't realize the emotional stress that goes on to the people that are taking care of that person that got sick. Oh, it's the hardest thing, period. This is the hardest job you ever will do. Nobody talks about that. Yeah. But for me, it's about thinking about whenever somebody passes you got to think about your life expectancy, you know, and I got this on a Joe Rogan thing. It's like uh, somebody was talking, I was thinking it was a guy that only five hour energy drank. He says, you know, we all have two lives. Confucius said, we all have two lives. And the second life begins when you realize you only have one, Mm -hmm. you know, and I love that. There was another little story that I got about a man meets an angel and the angel says, you want to know when you want to die? He goes, I don't want to know when I want to die, but can you come and tell me? And can you tell me before? And so he lives his life and the angel comes down and says, you're going to die tomorrow. Cause I told you to give me a sign. Can you tell me when you're, I did every single time your parents, when your parents passed away, when your friends passed away, those are all signs that your life is finite. And you got to look at it. If you're going to look at a bird's eye view, you're going to know that, you know, you're not going to be around forever. I think people in their twenties, they think they're going to be around forever. They don't think about death and things like that. But when you do take a good look at death and you saying, this is my life, I got good 30 years left, maybe, you know, of being able to be mobile and walking around. What am I going to do with it? Hmm. You're only on the surface for a short time. What are you going to do? You're feeling all of these feelings. You're feeling all these emotions. Now what are you going to do with it? And can you be able to do the things that you want to do? And everybody has a different, what do I want to do? The question is, is can you find it? And if you can find it, then you have more joy and more happiness in your life. Could you share like maybe one of the times that it was tough for you and what you did to kind of make it through that? Steph was sick for nine years from the day that she got diagnosed. She probably had it two years before she got diagnosed because it put a, a crick in our relationship because she was always tired. She never wanted to do anything. 
And when we first met, we're doing things left and right. I mean, we're active people. And all of a sudden, she doesn't want to do anything. And I remember, you know, it put a a thorn in our relationship to the point where we had to see therapy about this, like, what's going on? And like, for example, we bought a condo and it's like, let's go and DIY and HGTV and fix this place up because I don't have the energy for that. I go, what do you mean? Come on, let's go. And I ended up having to do it myself. And that wasn't fun. I mean, granted, we did rent it out and I had to get people to help me out and and fix it up. But later on, realized that she had cancer. And that started this whole, you know, snowball. And which also means that being intimate sexually was not in the picture. And I probably got to year seven and got to a point where I can't do this. I'm a, you know, healthy young man. Don't get me wrong. I loved her to death, but she was also a born again Christian, which she wasn't when we married, she wasn't a born again Christian, but some things come with a, someone that's a born again Christian and she did not approve of me ever going out. And I understand, completely understand. But at the same time, I mean, I just did things that I'm not happy about. And I wish that were different. You know, again, when she passed away, everything came together and there was a lot of forgiveness. There was a lot of love and all that kind of stuff. But that was a hard time where you're doing what your body wants to do, what is urging to do. And, but at the same time you have morals and you want to be able to do the right thing. And I, I think I got in after nine years of being in cancer, I got to year seven and it's just like broke couldn't do it. And I probably have to live with that. I have to live with that in whatever I mean possible, the shame or the guilt or something like that for the rest of my life. But like I said, that's one of the reasons why I went down to try to see her again and talk to her and, and we've come full circle and we're good now. But that was a tough time in my life. And if I was in the same situation as today, would I do anything differently? I can't tell you if I could, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't say if I could do that. You know, we never divorced and, you know, she, we married and we, we stayed husband, wife till the end. But yeah, there were some things that I'm not, I'm not proud about. On those ones, have you been able to forgive yourself? Sure. I, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I believe, not yes. cognitively. I'm, the parts that are holding the pain, the guilt, the shame that you mentioned and so on. Are you able to forgive those parts yes to the best of my knowledge yes but they're scars and sometimes if you pick out a scar they're going to bleed again and you're going to have to let it heal again you know but yes i've been able to love again and that's good because i know i loved her you know more than anything you know at the time in our system right we have these parts of us when something traumatic happens. So trauma is not what happens like to us. That's traumatic, right? It's what happens in us as a result of what happens to us, right? Like in the situation like that, your wife, she's passed, you know, the situation is gone, 
but there's certain pieces of it that get stuck and live on and we have to protect around it because when they come up, it's painful and our protective parts need to jump in whether they're going to manage it and, and make sure where everything's okay and I'm handsome and I got all these things going on or whether it's, I got a drink right now or something, you know what I mean? Or whatever those pieces may be. And what happens is this is where it goes in the breath work or in the plant medicines or any of that, even in the therapy, if you can get to that area, which is, can we witness the pain of those parts, what they needed in the time? Because in that time that you're going through all of this, we need someone to be able to hold space and to be able to let us express what's really there without judgment, because it's so hard. So can it just be okay? And that's what those parts really need. Can it be okay before they can really even just release? These are the tools that we were talking about earlier to create this wholeness. But what's interesting is, you know, all some of these things that happened in the past, you've put so many bricks to be able to move forward in life and you don't need those bricks anymore. Yeah. But there's comfort inside that. Okay. Right. And now all of a sudden it's like, how do you dismantle it? How do you take them down? And how do you be, be vulnerable to be okay with not having this wall up? I I have a story for that. Earlier in the year I had done a plant medicine journey. So ayahuasca. This snake on here is the boa from ayahuasca. So the second night was really, really like somatic. Everything was in the body. And at the tail end of it, when we're starting to come out, but not really, because you know how it goes, right? You're still in there for kind of a, yeah. a long time. The shaman shared with us a really, really powerful story that brought it all kind of together. And what he shared, and this is my rendition, so it's not going to be exact, but he talked about a village in Peru. And a young boy came out of his teepee, went across the field to the arroyo where he saw an old man holding a knife, crying in the river. And the boy was curious, so he went to the man and he said, old man, well, why, what's wrong? What's going on? And the man looked at him and he said, young boy, I hold this knife for as long as I can remember. I use it for protection. But every time I use it, it hurts me, it cuts me, and everyone I love. But I can't let it go. The boy says, well, why can't you let it go? And he says, because I may need it for the future. And the boy thought about it and he said, okay. And before he even knew what was going on, the boy grabs a knife from the man, takes it, and runs back home. And the man realizes he doesn't have this knife anymore. He feels the burden relieved. He moves on. Fast forward 70 years, right? A young girl named Ayahuasca comes across the field to the river where she sees that boy who's now an old man holding the knife, crying in the river. And she asks him, old man, why, why are you crying? What, what, what's wrong? And he says, I've had this knife for as long as I can remember. I hold it for protection. And every time I use it, it cuts me and it cuts everyone I know. It causes so much pain, but I can't leave this knife. She says, why can't you leave it? She said, because I may need it for the future. And the girl thought about it. And she said, you know, I don't know if I can 
do anything about this, but come back to my village and talk to my grandmother. My grandmother may be able to help you. So she takes the man there to meet the grandmother. And grandmother looks at the young girl, looks at the man and says, granddaughter, you did the right thing. This is not your burden. You go meet with your family and eat. So she leaves. She tells the man what's going on. And he tells her, I've had this knife as long as I've lived. I can't let it go. When I use it, it cuts me and everyone around me. It causes so much pain. And grandmother tells him, I can't take that knife from you. I'm not going to do that. But what I'll do is I'll put my hands under here. And when you're ready, you let it go and I will catch it. And that man, because she was holding the space, took everything that he could. And when he let it go, before it hit her hand, it turned to light and it went everywhere. So the piece in that story is that all of these burdens that we hold, that we think we need, the protections that we think we need, when we release them, it turns to light and it goes everywhere. And that's the story that was left with me during that wow. ceremony. That's a great story. Yeah. Because it's not going to hurt anybody else. It's okay. You know? But you're right we hide behind it because we've been hiding them behind these little walls for so long and we're just comfortable there. That's why we don't want to let go of that knife. Yep. And you know, I mean, once we get to the point that this is not serving me and this is the real root of the problem, we can let go of these bricks and be vulnerable. And that's the hard thing. Now all of a sudden I'm exposed what are people going to say? And you're going to find out that it's okay. Yeah. You know, I talk about consciousness a lot. You know, you ever see a child five years and under six years and under in a supermarket, that child wants something. Mom says, no, that child's going to do a temper tantrum, start screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs because they don't care. They want something and they don't care if anybody else is hearing them scream and ruining their time and, you know, agitating them. That happens. Then you have the old person. You hear about the angry old man or the Karen that just sharing all their negativity. They let go of something. They don't have it. They just, they don't, but those ages in between, we end up becoming conforming and we have to be a certain way because our community says we have to be a certain way. And we create these layers and layers and layers. So how do we let go? And that's the hard part. How do we unlearn? Are you asking me that one? Yeah. I'm, I have an answer for that. I would love to hear you. Okay. If you're talking about the young child that is throwing a tantrum, the frustration is shown as a need that's being unmet. Sure. This child has a need of some sort. Sure. Could be expressing it through needing a toy or so on, but realistically, it's most likely I need my mother's love or something along that lines, and I'm not getting it, so I'm going to protest, and that's how it's expressed, right, in that protest. So the intention is I would like my mother's love and the impact is I'm throwing a tantrum and I'm going to get excluded and I'm going to cause the problem that is causing me to not feel that, right? When that child now cannot express themselves and they're shamed or gaslighted or so on to hold it in, like just shut up or so on, right? That's stuck and that's stuck in time. Right. So the belief then becomes extreme and the emotion becomes extreme. Sure. And the emotion and belief is something's wrong with me. I'm defective. This is shame. 
my bad parts are being witnessed. And that part of us gets lodged inside, it's stuck in time, and it's six years old, and it's six, and it stays six. And every time that it's trying to resolve, it's trying to express itself, it comes up in our system, and our system feels it the exact same way that we did at six years old. And then we want to shut it down in whatever possible way we can because it's too painful. The process never finishes. That Karen, or whatever you want to call it, on the other end, is getting lit up because this six-year-old part is going live. And then the protective pieces around it is to project and spat, whatever it might be. That's what's going on. So it's still the six-year-old part. All the stuff in the middle is still trying to protect against the six-year-old part. So what happens here is that once the six-year-old, once our protective system is cool with us to be able to go to the six-year-old part and provide it what it actually needs, which is to be witnessed, to be seen, heard, validated, empathized with, retrieved at a point, right? Bring it into the present. That's like a soul retrieval, right? Updated on, hey, you're not in the past any longer. You're not unsafe any longer. And this is all okay. And once this part right here feels like it's got everything off its chest, you got it. And it can release that burden, that feeling of shame, because it's not shame. It holds shame. It's not the burden. It holds the burden. Then when that gets released, that, one, that part now springs back into its fun-loving self, and there's no protection needed any longer. That's what happens a lot of times in the psychedelic journeys mm-hmm. or in deep meditations mm-hmm. or in the proper types of mm-hmm. therapy is that we can release that because it can be witnessed from an adult perspective. Sure as opposed to a child sure. perspective. Yeah. And a lot of the times stuff that's being held in is right. just compiled on each other. Right. And let's say like in your situation, if you really went through it a bit, there's probably, I don't know, I would guess, and this is my hunch, is that there's a bunch more that leads back and it's all in one big bucket so it becomes really heavy, right? When you get to the really the root, the earliest one, and that goes, then it's like, the toilet just got unclogged exactly. and the drain got unclogged. Exactly. It's all gone. Right. And then now the everything is only what it is at that time and not everything, the 8,500 things that happened prior. I love that. Yeah. That was good. I was just trying to point out that, you know, a child under six years old doesn't care about their surroundings, but you take a eight year old, that eight year old is not going to probably cry in there because now that eight year old has consciousness aware of, everything around them and they're going to try to get whatever they want from their mother in a different way other than crying and disturbing yeah, the them. strategies will change Correct. but the need will be the same a need will be the always the same yes the need will be the same yes. but the strategy yes. may change right. may not yeah but just like you said think about all the issues that come up as a child or going into prepubescent and into adulthood there's so many layers and upon layers and upon layers you don't know what came first the chicken or the egg and yeah, then, so you get to the original one. Yeah, until you get to the original one. Yeah, Your system will tell you what it is. Yeah, and again, finding tools. Therapy is a tool. Use it. it there's great things in therapy. There even could be good things in medication, too. I'm not saying that. I'm not a proponent to that. I'm just saying there could be. There's Just keep trying just to keep out there. And I, and I talk about that person that's motivated. Can't do anything for someone that's not motivated. You know, if you're motivated to say, I need to find the source, I need to find what's out there, you'll find it. When you think about that, though, with the motivation, if you dig deep, 
do you find that your motivations come more from love these days or from fear? Well, I think the big question is, and I remember asking this to somebody else, is can you teach drive? Is the drive always have to be there automatically or can you teach drive? Can you motivate somebody? I can easily motivate someone. You light their world on fire and they now become motivated, right? Like that, but that intention doesn't match the impact, right? But to me, there's always something there. If somebody doesn't, is not motivated to do something, they're not going to do it. So that motivation piece in there. So I think what I'm getting to on this is like, you know, people say you want to be, follow your passion, right? And the root of passion is suffering. So that's why it's passion of the Christ. It's suffering. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I'm going to find my passion. You look at some, my passion is social justice. My passion is, and a lot of times that's going to be because I, the world was not providing me social justice. So now it caused me pain. And now I'm passionate about that. In our age, where we're at the latter portion of where we're actually productive, a lot of times we're looking at how do we move from that? right? Mm-hmm. That intense, like I got to move away from pain type of energy as a motivation to love, which is the purpose and pulling and so on. There's a switch in here that not everybody can make. So that's the distinction that I'm yeah, we asking. We haven't talked about on. that, but that's huge. Yeah. Which is, there's an ebb and flow, right? Which is becomes like, I got to help this person because I need to, I'm not, you know, I'm feeling my own, right? There's a, there's a difference in that movement versus versus the the purpose and the calling and so on which is it's, there's a different energy around it it's not as i have to you know what i mean that one which is harder to stay in a lot of times is it's just okay like can i just can you just be you know what i mean however that is but the yeah. actions that we do can bring the conclusion or bring the joy so yep. you have to take the steps. You know, it's funny. Well, in our age, I've talked to a number of people that said, I'm at the point where I want to retire. And I don't know what to do. Yep. And Because their identity is fully into fully their work. Fully into that. It's right? like, what is like, hey, who are you? I'm a lawyer. No, you, your vocation is lawyer. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. And and that is when the first time when they don't have this because that's defined that's their story. Yep. How is it's their identity? Sto- it's the identity. How are their story is going to change. And again, stronger meaning of life. What are you going to do from there? Okay. And what are the steps that I got to take to find this joy, this retirement that I'm supposed to be? Well, if you're a guy that worked all the time and you never traveled, chances of you traveling and finding that joy not going to be there because you never really travel there are people that have this such desire to travel and they've been doing it all their lives but how do you take someone that says i'm at the end of this career what am i going to do and again diving down what would you say to someone that has i'd say it right here exact sit in peace tune in turn toward right the only way out is through yeah. And external is just a projection of what's going on internally. If I feel that the world's dangerous, all I see is danger, right? If I feel that the world is safe and beautiful, all I see is safe and beauty. I always say hostile people live in a hostile world. Yeah. Loving people live in a loving world. It's the same world. Hurt people hurt others. Like it's internal 
first and then external. So the lack of clarity in terms of what am I going to do comes from a lack of clarity of what am I going, what am I being, right? So you have like be, do, and have, right? We're not a human doer. We're a human being, but we act as human doers most of the time, right? So it's, it's really being. So at that point, I help people in this kind of transition a lot because well, not necessarily to retirement, but within the career. And there's three stages that are really apparent. One is execution. We're going to crank it out. We're, you know, doing stuff, right? Then you have direction, which is like, where are we actually going? Like, what's the objective? What's the why, right? In there, which they talk about. But what they don't talk about is the preliminary step before that too, which is healing. Because your why changes when you're moving through pain to get away from pain versus moving toward purpose. The why changes. The why changes if certain unresolved childhood traumas are not resolved. The why is changed. And what happens is, if you can get the healing piece done, then the direction changes. And when that becomes very clear, then execution, for the most part, for for people who are pretty capable, takes care of itself. Sure. Sure. But taking that initial step, where should I step? That's the most important step. And that's where I think like your, if we even circle back to that, that's where communities like you offer come into play because you can enter in many different ways. They call it like top down or bottom up, right? Top down is I enter through my head into my body, which is like I can do psychotherapy or so on, right? We're talking through it and trying to move into the body. And body up modalities are somatic through the body, breath work, yoga, where it's actually going through the body first and then actually entering into that that middle ground inner space, right? So it's to each his own. Well, and, which, and what sometimes works best. just focusing on that one area to straighten that arrow, to find that joy, there's a ripple effect. And yeah. every other thing in your life starts to be cohesive, but it has to start in one spot. And, yeah. and it's just a matter of just being motivated. Like I've asked people hey check out my breath work they don't come it's okay you know they'll come when they're ready maybe there's this is not the time for them to come but there's other people out there that are looking for answers and they're coming and they're taking the and i love the fact that they just show up and i say this and in my yoga class at the end of every yoga class the hardest part about yoga or anything in life is just to show up yeah but once you show up that's when things start to happen things start to change and Good things will happen if it's done on a positive level. And I think on that too, what I find is the thing to get people over the hump, at least for myself, is initially pain. It's pain. We will spend way more effort to get out of pain and on painkillers than we will on vitamins and supplements and, and things like that, which people still spend money on. But to get out of pain, that's number one. That's the driver. So that's why when there are lessons that are not being heated or signals that are being sent and not being received by the universe, then it gets louder and louder and we end up getting voluntold. Well, that's when we yeah. make shifts is when we have those peaks, right? Yeah. You, well, you make the shifts when, well, you talking about the peak in pain? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, when you're feeling yeah. that like, okay, now something has to happen. I got to really move. Yeah. But, it, but it'd be good yeah. to make that move before it happens. And that's what we call preventative. 
that is like, this is good for me. So if you can just say that this is good for me because it just makes my body feel good. It gets me into shape. Other things will happen. And again, it's the persistence, you know? Well, your body is part of your mind too. I mean, like it's all for sure. One, I mean, you can make each of them sick from the other. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you know, you saw that clearly. I mean, I would like when my father initially got sick and my wife then got sick. I mean, it's like the body pain you get from that kind of stuff is intense. And the cathexis or the fact that you feel their pain because of your love for them. And you're just like, oh, I, I can, you can feel that. It's kind of like when your kid falls on the street and scrapes his knee, you probably feel that pain. Well, that too. And have you ever, have you ever seen that? Have you ever heard of mirror neurons? Sure. Right? Mir- oh, mirror, yeah. mirror neurons, right? Oh, yeah. Where your feelings fire and mine will fire at the same, same time. kind of time. Did you see that, that experiment they did with the monkeys? Right? So they, they, they took monkeys and what they were doing is they were eating peanuts and they had EEGs on their head to measure in the brain activity of what's going on. So they would eat the peanuts and then it would fire. Right. So then they took a break and the guy uh, or woman, I don't know who the researcher was doing their thing on the side. Someone else came in the room and they saw peanuts and they're like, oh, peanuts. And so they went and ate, started eating the peanuts. And when they started doing that, the monkey's brain started firing again. Same exact way. Sure. So what happens is we tend to kind of feel each other. It's the same kind of resonance as when you take a tuning fork and you hit it here. And it's the same 